Ari Rosenbaum here with uh, another fun-filled episode of that 4K podcast. This week's topic, we're going to talk about mistakes to avoid uh, if you're a plan provider with your new 401k product or service. Kind of tips as someone who's launched very successful and very unsuccessful products and services and events and all that kind of stuff. But of course, go to that 401ksite.com, articles, whatnot, that 401k virtual bunch, we will return uh, on um, May 17th, 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Retirement Plan Roundtable, uh, Bill Shores, Mike Webb, James Holland, and I. And it'll be the first of hopefully many, maybe monthly events, rotating crew. Of course, you know, a couple of those guys on the crew, I'd love to keep everybody every month, but, uh, you know, sometimes it's a hard uh, Hard ask, but uh, we'll see how it goes. Um, and of course, uh, that 4K National Virtual Conference. Get one of my emails, sign in for free for now, and uh, pretty soon we'll launch the date for that 4K, um, what I think will be a virtual plan sponsor conference, uh, hopefully in October. But uh, off to the topic at hand. I've been in the retirement plan business again. Uh, September 8th will be 25 years in the business. Uh, if I was a baseball team, I'd probably come up with a logo to signify the 25 years. But in those 25 years, I've seen a lot of good ideas and a lot of bad ideas. And uh, speaking of bad ideas, it doesn't include uh, two people I know sitting in federal prison for investment from 401k plans. There are really great ideas that you know, plant providers have brought to me over the years. Um, some of them have succeeded, um, and then there are a lot of bad ideas that succeeded. So you know, people say it's it's a flip of a coin, it's luck and whatnot. But uh, you know, the idea is, you know, the the idea is that bad ideas can win out. Um, Better ideas, better technology can lose out. A perfect example is Betamax versus VHS. Now, we all know we all had VHS players back in the day. But the fact of the matter is the superior technology was Betamax. Betamax was done in for two reasons. One, it was only produced by Sony. So JVC and Toshiba and all these other Japanese manufacturers, you know, went bandied about and had VHS. And of course, the other drawback was Betamax. Sony was so stubborn. Um, they had a one-hour tape, and people wanted to record movies and VHS with the SLP mode or whatnot. I think gave you like six hours. SP gave you two hours, and that went out. So this you know podcast at hand, we're going to talk about, you know, when you have an idea of a product or service and what to do and kind of what not to do. But one thing from the beginning is the idea really has to stand out. Um, when I started my practice in 2010, uh, one of the things I hated working for those law firms was the billable hour. The billable hour can devastate a client uh, that wants to use you. They think the bill is going to be one thing, and then all of a sudden, $20,000 later, it's quite something else. Uh, 
So having worked for TPA attorneys, you know, as a, as a TPA attorney, I love the, the flat fee. So that's why to this day, most of my services are with a flat fee. Um, I think that when you have a service or an idea or whatever it is, the product, it's got to be novel. It's got to stand out. I mean, there are a lot of, you know, if, if you had, you know, everybody's got like a plain grading tool um, ever since the folks at Brightscope started out. Um, and, you know, you'd need something that, you know, wow, here's the difference maker. Wow, this is something interesting. Because sometimes you'll see like a, a plain grading thing or, you know, diagnostic tool. And it's no different from what's out there. So whatever you have, it's got to be, you know, novel. Or it has to be something that really could stand out among the competition. Number two, really find your audience. Um, of course, you know, I, I'll talk about until the day I die or until I, you know, have dementia. But when I worked at that certain Long Island law firm, um, you know, I thought the idea was, you know, I could generate business. We have a lot of corporate clients. Um, they have retirement plans, and I could certainly, you know, cross-sell um, you know, my services to our existing clientele. But the problem is, is that the law firm was made up, especially the Long Island office, of former small proprietors, uh, solo attorneys, that, um, you know, they protected their client list the way an armored truck um, protects their customers' cash. While I, you know, network with small businesses that went nowhere, I decided that financial advisors were going to be... Um, the way I could generate business because I couldn't generate anything with the law firm partners. I mean, it, it to this day it doesn't make any sense to me because if I'm a law firm partner at that law firm and Ari Rosenbaum bills a thousand dollars, let's say two thousand dollars for a plain document, uh, as the originating attorney because it's my client, I got a thousand bucks for doing absolutely nothing. Um, and I never understood why, you know why they, you know, weren't interested in that. And, you know, Lois, the managing attorney, said, well, maybe it has something to do with you. Now, Lois, you have solo attorneys. They don't trust you. They don't trust the other attorneys in the practice, and that's why you can't cross-sell. So, again, you know, I didn't just, you know, put my hands up and just give up. That wasn't me. It's still not me. Um, being, you know, a former pessimist turned optimist, I was never going to give up. So I said, let's, you know, how do I generate clients? You know, it's like starting a fire. You take two sticks, rub it together, and see what you can do. So the idea was, well, you know, advisors are the most important, you know, in terms of relationships, um, not in terms of what they do, but they are the most important relationship with a plan sponsor client. They handle all the problems that the plan sponsor has, at least at a small to medium-sized um, spectrum. And... Uh, you know, I was trying to count my services. You know, I, I charge as good, as little as a TPA attorney. There's attorney-client relationship, blah, 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 blah. And I forget the advisor. I, I want to say, actually, I, I don't remember the, I think I know who said it to me. But one time said, uh, one of the advisors said to me, point blank, uh, well, that's great, but what's in it for me? Um, you know, I'll introduce you to you know, this client of mine, and they'll hire you, but what's in it for me? And that was a great question. 
you know, everybody needs to wet their beak. So that's when I decided to start writing articles. And when I was at that law firm, uh, it took six months to get an article approved because they had three levels of uh, partnership that had to do that. And I think I produced in two years uh, a quarter of what I produce now. Um, but uh, you had, you know, the idea was let me write articles talking about, you know, 401k plan sponsored things, um, you know, Payroll provider article is still the most popular article I've ever written. The payroll provider CPA ones, I do one every year. Um, advisor takes one of these free articles, gives it to a prospective client or current client. They keep or they get new clients out of the result of it, and they'll remember me because I help them uh, one way or the other. And that really helped build my practice. Um, it really started everything. You know, the fiduciary work that I do where, you know, I'm a PPP, a 316 administrator, all that kind of stuff. Um, it all started from that. And when you have a 401k idea and a plan and whatnot, you need to discover your audience. And, you know, that could be 401k plan sponsors. It could be accountants. It could be attorneys. It could be financial advisors, whatever it may be. But you really have to. Um, you know, understand what your service is and what the audience is. If you're, you know, selling a a, a, a grade system for a 401k plan like everybody else did, um, plan sponsors may not be your best target. Uh, accountants and attorneys probably your not best target. Probably financial advisors are, but it's up to you to figure it all out. Next on the hit list, I think it's important to have financial backing. Again, when I started my practice in 2010, you know, people advise me it's going to take two years to build this. Um, it took about a year. You um, know, building still to this day is never up to my satisfaction, and I don't think it ever will be. Um, you know, the fiduciary work, uh, let me tell you, getting those quarterly checks, those are my favorite months. So, you know, that's uh, January, April, July, and October. Um, you know, you get some monthly checks too. But I just love those um, those quarterly checks because you uh, you don't really budget for that. You don't spend that yet. The monthly checks you do. But uh, you know, I think it's important to have financial backing. Um, you know, again, I had the money to support myself for the next couple of years. Uh, social media really, uh, I, I discovered that tool. You know, a couple of months in. Um, you know, the story goes is that I hired a uh, PR guy for, I want to say, a thousand bucks a month. And the guy was really old school, and I was a new school type of person. And I, I wasn't generating any business or interest. And he's like, well, why don't you take some time off? I'm like, you know, I have a mortgage to pay. I got you to pay for a thousand bucks a month. Uh, I fired him. And that was it. I hired a social media guru. Worked for him for about, you know, nine months or whatnot. And, you know, got my way going. Um, you know, around the time that I started, uh, again, one of my services is like, you know, for TPAs and advisors, I, I, I get a, a, you know, monthly retainer, help them out. The clock never runs. So they see the value in it. And I have billable that I can count on every single month. Um, I have a TPA client out in Texas, you know, they pay me 500 bucks a month and probably do more than 500, uh, 500 bucks worth of work every month, but it is what it is. 
so around the time that I started, uh, I was approached by somebody who was leaving their job at like a very big company. Uh, I don't, I think it was, I don't, I, I don't even remember, but it was a very well-known company, not known for the, they weren't advisors. It was like, you know, I wouldn't say it was Pepsi, but it was something in New Jersey. Pepsi's in, in New York and purchase. But, um, you know, it was a really nice, well company and he was going to go start out and start his RA practice. So he was going to quit his job and just start an RA practice uh, from the beginning. And he was going to pay me a monthly retainer, paid me to develop his, you know, um, client agreements. And I don't think he lasted six months. Um, it just didn't work out for him. He pulled the plug pretty quickly. So, you know, um, it's important to have uh, the financial wherewithal to succeed. One of the best ideas I ever heard about in the 401k plan space was a rebate program where plan participants would shop online or maybe, you know, shop um, out of line, uh, offline. And it was IRS approved. The money would go through payroll and whatnot and would go in as a 401k deferral. Um, this was the website before EvoShare. EvoShare is a you know great rebate program. They were the second website that I knew took off, and obviously, um, since they first presented at my event in LA in 2019, they're still in business four and a half years later. Um, this website that I worked with before, trying to promote them, they didn't make out. Uh, if I would have told you their name, you wouldn't have hurt. You wouldn't remember it. And uh, really, why you don't hear of it is because they didn't have financial backing and they went belly up. Um, I, you know, the guy again. He he left his own business. He, he devoted, you know, all his time to this website, and it just failed, just because he didn't have the wherewithal to to support it for so long. Next, talk less, do more. Um, Sometimes you, you look at it, your, your life sometimes and you, you realize, man, you know, you're disappointed at something and you really should have been as disappointed as you, as you are. And Law school was that situation in my life where the ball didn't bounce a certain way. You have this expectation and, you know, I think I learned later in life, you take, you get lemons, you make lemonade. Um, back in those days, I was an angry young kid and uh, I was upset about getting lemons. So when I didn't make the law journals, the law review, and all that stuff through two write-ons, and I think that uh, my writing is, I was not born to be a legal writer. My wife is an appellate attorney, uh, and she's fantastic at what she does. Um, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't do her job. Uh, legal writing is just not my thing. Uh, writing articles that 401k plant sponsors and plant providers can read and digest and understand, that's, that's my niche. So when I didn't make the law journals, I said, you know what, I'm going to start my own law journal. And, 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 you know, it's a great thing, and I'll put it on my resume and all this stuff. And I had no plan how to start it. I talked to the dean of the law school, and uh, he gave me zero encouragement. And I'm like, what, what am I doing here? Um, you know, and I'm, and I'm, I'm not going to put on my resume that I'm the editor-in-chief of the law journal that doesn't exist. Because there are people that do that. You know, it always drives me nuts where people take a title, do nothing with the title, but they want to pad their resume. And 
when you're 18 or 25 and trying to get your first job, that's great. But when you're, you know, 50 something years old, it doesn't make sense anymore. It's, it's, but you know, people in my town, <laughs> they go in the Chamber of Commerce and they, they don't have a business, but yet they're on the Chamber of Commerce board and the Chamber of Commerce is, is a dead organization. So, uh, so again, I think it's important to not talk a lot and, and do a lot more. Now, I work with two TPAs in the past uh, concerning multiple employer plans. Uh, both said they were going to make a ton of money. Um, one was uh, based in the southeast. They were going to take on Terry Powers and his MEP business, and they were going to clean his clock. And uh, I worked with that TPA until they stopped paying my bills and tried to stiff me and ended up having to sue them. But before that ever happened, uh, the head of the TPA liked to talk. You know, uh, he probably has undiagnosed AD, you know, ADD like I do. And he talked and he talked and he talked. He did nothing. And then May 2012, the uh, TAG advisory opinion on open maps came out and that shut the door on that business. So he wasn't able to take on Terry Powers and do anything. And Terry Powers is a good guy. Uh, his, his business is, is still booming with, uh, obviously, the peps and whatnot. And that brings me to the second CPA. Talk, talk, talk. Um, you know, again, a lot of procrastination. We're going to do a, a, a closed map and we're going to provide, you know, a lot of services and this and this and that. And that flopped too. Um, because, you know, you take too long, you talk too much, and a pooled employer plans got rolled out and defeated the whole purpose of a closed map. Next, I think it's important to find the right partners out there. Um, so, for example, uh, I knew a, well, still know an advisor, um, had very successful relationships with a couple of trade associations, Watch a couple of successful MEPs, um, and he had very good TPA and 338 partners. Then he fell out of the way with the TPA and 338 partners, and, uh, you know, he thought, you know, this 338 wasn't helping him out distributing the products, you know, let me go on with what I call, like, the McDonald's of... Uh, 338s out there, partner up with them. They'll help distribute it. Let's find a new TPA and they'll help, you know, push this map. And in three years, that, that map didn't sell anything. And the reason why was because they were um, comboed with a bunch of, like what I say, McDonald's-sized partners who had bigger fish to fry and weren't going to help him distribute his product. Um, you know, if you were... If you're the biggest TPA out there, um, you know, I'm sure Empower has a hundred advisors touting them about, you know, their ideas for a PEP. And, you know, if you're an Empower or if you're in a census or whatever you may be, um, you know, you're going to go and you want to align with bigger partners, you know, locked in. Big RA clients, cap trust, or whatever it may be, you're not going to go and partner up with some one-person RAA shop and, and you know, the, 
and RIA, RIA thinks, oh, this guy's going to promote me, and it just doesn't work out that way. It's just not reality. Um, I think it's important to find, you know, if you have an idea, what's the best fit? Find partners out there that are the best fit. So if you're, you know, you're an RAA, you want to push out a PEP, uh, I wouldn't go to a large provider. I wouldn't go to Fidelity. I wouldn't go to Empower. I, I, I would go to probably an unbundled TPA that doesn't have a lot of PEPs and is hungry and wants to push something out there. Uh, you know, don't go to J.D. Carlson. Fantastic guy. Man hates peps. So I, 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 would, I wouldn't do that. But I would go to somebody like a J.D. Carlson who is just, you know, a brilliant marketer and, you know, got a lot of great ideas. But, of course, we know that J.D. hates peps and that's not going to work out. So, yeah, don't, don't you know, if you have a pep, don't, don't uh, also don't go with a provider that hates peps and doesn't want to promote them and push them and whatnot. So, you know, if you're going to partner up with somebody to help promote you, make sure everything's done in writing, there's an understanding. Um, I'm not suggesting that larger providers can't be partners for you. I'm just saying that you need partners that are hungry and are willing to push your idea out. Last but not least, you really have only one chance at this launch. So first impressions, I always say, mean the most. Um... And it, it took me to, a while to overcome my first meeting with my mother-in-law. Uh, in my defense, um, it was Rosh Hashanah Eve in 2000s. Um, I had to go to Rocklands County to bring my grandmother down for the high holidays. And, uh, I was dating my wife, and I suggested I could drive her up to Rocklands. Uh, meet her mom and, and just drop her off. And uh, it was at the Nanuet Mall, which physically I don't know if it's, the building itself doesn't exist anymore. They they kind of tore down what the mall was and they have like an outdoor mall now. So I'm sitting by the food court. I want to say I'm eating Nathan's and my mother-in-law sits right next to me. So there's no like eye contact and I'm not the best when it comes to eye contact. Uh, and it's certainly not going to help if somebody's not across from me, that they're sitting next to me. And so I, you know, I got complaints from my wife. What, what, how did I insult her mother? I, I didn't look at her face to face and all that kind of stuff. Um, so first impressions mean the most. It took a while to me to overcome um, that chilly first meeting with Esther Eisner. It worked out. Uh, may she rest in peace and all that stuff. Um, but, you know, first impressions mean the most. Uh, Esther Eisner was very, very forgiving. Her daughter was very, very forgiving. That worked out. Most of the times it doesn't. You got one chance at this uh, for first impressions, and if you bobble it, it could be devastating. About 10 years ago, Burger King, I, I mean, I completely forgot about it until I Googled it, but Burger King, and I ate the product, Burger King had a healthier French fry line called Satisfries. They were crinkle cut. I think it was a. I want to say that was around the time that Burger King had that crinkle. Burger King keeps on changing their French fries. They're, I prefer their French fries over McDonald's any day. But uh, you know, I know I know that's blasphemy. But anyway, Burger King came out with these satisfies. 
It was a different batter. It was a lot less fat, a lot less calories. Um, they were a healthier recipe. But for some reason or another, Burger King couldn't really connect with the audience and sell that. And maybe if they came out with it now, another go of it, they'd be successful. You know, the, the Impossible Whopper seems to be doing okay and whatnot, so a healthy alternative would probably work out today. But because they bobbled that launch, Satisfries probably didn't last, you know, more than a year. And uh, I think that that's an important lesson. You know, everybody knows if you listen to the podcast, read my writings, I love uh, business flops um, because you, know, you can take a great product and a service and whatnot and, you know, bad uh, – I mean, there's certain bad ideas that we're always going to fail. Uh, right now in, in Brooklyn, there's like a museum of failure. I'd go, but it's like 25 bucks a pop to go there. And I don't want to spend 25 bucks a pop to go see, um, you know, a, a, a bottle of Crystal Pepsi. But a bad idea that never was going to succeed, Colgate having a frozen dinner line. I, I still don't understand it. I mean, that was failure, uh, guaranteed failure. But... Uh, if you have a product or service, it's important to succeed at the launch. Otherwise, it's just you're, you're never going to get a second chance at it, uh, and that's how it is. Um, but uh, that's it for uh, this episode of that 401k podcast. Tune in next week. Go to that 401ksite.com. Uh, a lot of great articles and all that kind of stuff. And and tune in next week for another episode of that 401k podcast. Thanks. Bye.